and welcome to another E5 podcast. I am your host, uh, Paul Mean, and I am joined and privileged to introduce my tag team partners, my brothers from another mother's. Chaps, introduce yourself. Hello, I'm JW. And it's Dave Watts here, Spark Ninja. That's it. The three amigos are back. We're very random with these podcasts now, um, mainly because we're just too busy. That's What's going on with you then, mate? You're right. Uh, I'm working 12 hour days, seven days a week, pretty much. Um, My way. Three massive projects on the go and dozens and dozens of others. Um, don't really get much time for anything else. I worked through Christmas and New Year. They were basically weekends that I worked <laughs> through. Didn't really do much. Um, apologies for the last two podcasts we did and we stopped because one, I was exhausted when we were doing them and um, we were going to do more, but everybody's really really mentally mentally busy and this this just has to be when we're all the stars aligned really john how have you been yeah well as everybody else super busy what kind of things doing on so just finding time to do other stuff at the moment so. how's, how's the van doing john yeah that's fine yeah it's uh it works the only uh the only minor thing is in the winter because it's winter now is that the range is considerably reduced I've heard people say the range is impacted in these temperatures. Yeah, it's it's mainly due to the batteries themselves that just don't work as well in cold temperatures. So. Mm. It varies depending on the actual vehicle you've got, but some are better than others. Mine happens to be one of the ones that's not that much better, but uh, nevertheless, it still works. It still does the business, so Do you want just have to remember to charge it a bit more. You did a video on YouTube of you driving the vehicle, and I was utterly disappointed that you didn't call it John Ward's Fast and Furious, because I have been a passenger in John Ward's van. <laughs> he should be called Fast wanted, and Furious. I do one of those long shots like with Mr. Bean, where he just turns around the circle and, and rears off at some three-wheel van or something and knocks it over into a ditch. Yes, the adventures yeah. of JW in his EV. I am planning to put an EV charger in this year. I'm going to get one in. Are you home, yeah? yeah. Yeah, yeah, I am going to invest in one and stick it on the wall and I will never, ever buy an electric vehicle. But I will have the facility for guests. And I I made that promise last year. And by God, I'm going to I'm going to meet it this year. So hmm. at some point I will. Well, you've, made, you've put the cable in, haven't you? Cable's in. Cable's it's in. It's Wago box. It's sat on, sat there waiting for um, the cost to go down, I suppose. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> um, Dave, you have done loads. You've been busier I- than most. <clears throat> I have been I've been I've also been not well I've had a cold like since before Christmas and it's still still kind of lingering but yeah I've been um kind of pu- pushing through with getting the center running getting the center open we've had some issues with our advocate city and guilds from their end I won't say too much about their their competence to do these quality assurance visits but there was a clerical error so we've had to have a second visit we had a second. We had a, we had a different um, quality assurer come and visit. Actually, just yesterday, he came to to, to see us, and uh, it was absolutely fine. His eyes are open, looking around the center. Goes up to the classroom. He's like, "Whoa, that's a big room." Uh, talks about the the sessions and the idea, and I'm saying, you know, what we're planning on doing with the different courses. Absolutely fine. Absolutely no problem with that. Uh, he said, "Yeah, yeah, push me through for approval." But um, the first type visit we had, I was actually in um. God, I'm going to say this this wrong, John. You can convert me. Is it Oswestry or Westry? Something like that. Oh, yeah. no. <laughs> like, I don't know. We were I at the ICO this, place, this. weren't we? And because uh, we had this arranged in a Discord server, some you know we had the. I mean, Paul, you were you were banging heads at government. I was in Parliament. Along. 
Yeah, so if you were all in Wales. I do apologise. We we were we were there. And obviously, we had we had a lovely dinner the night before. We stayed in a hotel, and then we went to this the Ico building. And then halfway through the morning, I had the phone call that the guy was on his way. So there's a there's a cock up with the dates as well. All that is done now, and we've got approvals. So now it's just a case of okay, we'll put some courses on here and there. So it's a case of just getting some things running there, and obviously development of more stuff to hopefully relaunch. Spark Ninja YouTube stuff because I get so many people asking for more stuff. Um, but I don't want to just make content on there for the sake of it. There's stuff I want to put on there, but you know, just takes the time to get it done right. I don't think it, no. I'm going to speak on behalf of all three of us here. It's not in our DNA just making stuff for the sake of making stuff, it's making no. stuff because we're interested. And actually, it's quite unique and hmm. a good opinion piece, and it may help people think and develop their own exactly. thinking because we want people to level up with their own thinking, really, not necessarily listening to the rhetoric of the message um, that the industry gives. But my God almighty, I I, have, I haven't been able to do much social, so I'm not even mm. going to apologise for that. But the industry, the big news of the industry is City and Guilds buying out trade skills for you. Without mm. saying too much that will get me sued by someone, all I'm going to say as an end user is City and Guilds were the benchmark now they're somewhere in in the gutters because that to me i don't know what the hell's gone on there and i know it's business but they should remain independent remain setting it's... standards not be involved in anything like that whatsoever mm. I've, I've obviously i've got one of my own little um facebook areas where i've got just trainers and choosers in there and it is there is frustration and confusion in it as to why sitting yields have gone into the space they shouldn't have. you know but um they shouldn't have i've had random it's... phone calls from people when i've been on site here yeah. and stuff and they've just said that they you know vented which is always good to vent to peers mm. but i i can't disagree with them right? the seeing guild should not be buying training centers <laughs> they should it's... be saying as an independent awarding body it's a little bit like our experience with the nic in our careers though you know we, we we grew up understanding we we, we learned about the nic in one respect and obviously in the in our career life, we saw the way the NIC behaved to be different, and we started to get a bit of frustration when their attitudes turned to more this, more towards the selling of a book or the selling of a product, and we started to have these opinions that they weren't what they used to be. And for someone who's been like working with sitting guilds, I'm even on the books with them as a qualification developer for the best part of ten plus years now. There is this kind of um, evidence that they have kind of gone down that avenue of let's now sell courses and books and there's an awful lot more selling uh and yeah a lot of us would like them to get back into the quality assurance but it's 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 just the name of the game unfortunately they are relaunching the electric vehicle courses i've done the um i train okay. the trainer training with the discord guys uh, mm -hmm. for this new higher level you have to be an electrician to go on these new courses we'll see how those go um you know we'll see how they work um i've got well, approval for them I, I think it's fairly evident but... I've seen of them. They're going to get more difficult and <clears> challenging. I will probably... What annoying? What annoys me was when Dan did his uh, years ago, like six years ago, whenever it was, he did one of the first ones. Mm -hmm. Then John did his, and I'm thinking, great, I'm the only one who hasn't done it. And then I've gone and done it, and about two months later, they go, yeah, I did. that qualification ain't valid anymore. It won't be soon. I'm like, well, what? Yeah, there's a lot of people I'll said redo that. Them next year i'll do the mm. ev installer courses next a lot, year I'll for a lot of people said this so sitting girls have extended the 2919 mm -hmm. but the 2921 which is this new one which is in three parts it hasn't got any practical at all there's no practical at all in it you have to be an electrician 
that's the prerequisite you have to be a jib card holder or a level three or an equivalent electrician and then there's there's the three parts one is obviously the domestic and the assessment says that it's just the evolve and a short scenario yeah. then they split it into two parts which is the the um the large scale commercial they put it down to the quality assurance and design of and then there's a course on the installation and maintenance of those two are actually the exact same except for one unit so we're most likely going to just deliver them both and let people do both instead of like doing one then the other and having 90 percent of the material be exactly the same but um yeah so there's a three-hour project there's a three-hour design project on the new one and one of the preferred requirements is that you have a 2396 first having looked at the assessments it's not really necessary it's a little bit of a gimme you know there's a, there's a you know not to sound old a bit of a would they accept two four hundred yes old stuff? any 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 competent college would uh yeah as long as you have been doing your cpd so if you say i've done the two four hundred we would then say well, okay have you maintained that between uh, now I, and then. I did um for 2022 i logged and submitted 403 hours of cpd and i'm ashamed of myself because the last six months of the year i pretty much didn't you probably spent more time logging cpd than other people did doing cpd um in all fairness i did do because trouble is because you know i don't celebrate christmas or new year so i mm -hmm. will find myself online doing cpd training writing the stuff that you're about to see now um yes you've actually wrote, you wrote this a while ago this one i i wrote yeah so we'll get into this so um we should probably say well that's enough about a bit more of an in-depth as to our thoughts that's more of a hello than we normally do actually yeah recording our more intimate stuff so um welcome to this podcast because today we're going to talk about something that has been jangling around in the background since the start of <clears> covid <throat> okay so three years ago i started researching something and the, today's subject is electrical installations in furniture, a.k.a. Mm. BS 6396. Now, the reason why it's taken me three years is because I had to read every edition of the standard. I then wrote the training material because it was a if you remember, Dave, it was a project for me yeah. to be able to take a, quali a a standard that nobody had heard of and nobody's mm. developed any training on and see if I could successfully do it. So this is kind of the output. And then they updated form. it, didn't they? <laughs> Yes, and then they went and updated a full revision of the bloody standard, which yeah. then meant I had to go back and read all the old ones again and this and then update it. So I've got some slides. This is going to be presented in the form of like we would do a live webinar. But yeah. if we did this as a live webinar, people would probably fall asleep. Um, right. But for the people listening on the podcast, yes, we'll uh, to fall asleep describe them as best as we can yes so i am going to share my screen now so hopefully you guys can see it and we're now transitioning to webinar -y type format so can you all see that yes we see that okay right so um bs6396 um we're very familiar with 7909 well dave is especially mm -hmm. if you teach it mm -hmm. and all the relevant standards around 7671 but when i heard about this i was quite miffed how did this slip through the net 6396 okay uh electrical installations in furniture why did i miss this and it's it's i think given our knowledge of 7671 now this is like a companion to 7671 it's an extension of 7671 it's specific detail for stuff that to be honest with you do people think about it enough now if you work in the commercial sector you may know this 
or you may actually do this by default. So if you're doing like, you know, category fit outs of offices and stuff, this uh, this should be very relevant. But um, let's see if this works. Right. So it is a companion in what I was saying there. And there's a chap looking at both standards, getting very confused. Who is it? Speci- who is it aimed at this document? Well, this document is very clearly mapped out in across all the versions of it that it's relevant to buyers. So procurement people, suppliers, people who on-sell stuff, vendors, manufacturers, their requirements for manufacturers, safety professionals, electricians, and end users. So this standard openly says everyone. So it's not a product standard. Well. Is it more like an assembly standard? It's a hybrid. It's kind of it's like it's, it's an it's, installation it's, or an assembly? Yeah. Well, it's technically, it's all. Because it's <laughs> electrical installations in furniture, mm. it used to be called offices, office equipment and furniture. They've just yeah. rounded it down. So this this new vision, version we're doing it on now is based on the current full revision of the standard. But it, right. it, it, it does apply to the furniture, the testing, the electrical installation in the furniture and what it connects to. Henceforth, it's companion of 7671. But I just found it really interesting when it, it, it referred to all these different mm. people that it's relevant to to be honest with you so this is the frustration so on the screen we've got the earlier standard from 2015 and it used to be called electrical systems in office furniture and educational furniture and was a specification Mm. it's now called electrical systems in furniture okay so you could you could stress that obviously over the past 10 years or so we are starting to see in like coffee shops or airports and stuff furniture with electrical parts inside it which isn't just in an office environment so you can understand the scope increasing in that sense everywhere electrical installations are spreading into stuff we sit on we eat around where you go to a bp garage or usb sockets tables with the chargeable points in them and all sorts of things so because i everybody knows me i'm quirky and sad um first edition of this was published in 1983 which was a long time ago and i'd never heard of it Second edition was published then seven years later in April 1990. So no real rush there. Five years later was the third edition of this. Then the fourth edition, seven years later um, in September 2002. Um, And then the fifth edition in 2008. And then obviously by that time, they realized they couldn't just do an edition. They had to amend it. So in 2015, seven years later, they did Amendment 1. And now seven years later, it's Amendment 2, March 2022, this came out in. And I was very annoyed and and I was so angry. It's taken me since March to January of 2023 to finish the revision of it. Um, but there you go. So there's the background, really. So it's it's been out, you know, a good, well, 80s, 90s, 30 years. All right. So let's just describe for an electrician listening to this thinking, OK, what is this covering that they may already be doing or maybe thinking is within BS 7671 that this may provide further guidance for? Yes, which is why I call it a companion. Mm. Um, Before we get into that, um, I'm going to remind people before they fall into a coma um, that there is such a thing as a duty of care for employers to provide safe workplaces and safe work equipment, uh, mainly under the Health and Safety Work Act Section 2, um, but also there's duty of cares within the electricity work regs, provision and use of workplace equipment. And obviously, as we know, like with most British standards, they are guidance, but they can be used against you in a court of law. So stuff like BS 1363-2, 7671, and this could be used 
as supplementary evidence in a court law against you. So it's always worth mentioning that you've got a duty of care. Hopefully you take something away from this. You may not. You may just go, hmm, there's a standard that might be worth well using one day if I'm having a row with a furniture fit out company. But there's plenty of legislation that always underpins every single engineering decision we make and every document we read. Um, now, a favourite little gif. Um, this was written by a technical committee in the Wine Regs world. It's JPL or JPL 64. Uh, this was written by FW0 and they formed a subcommittee FW03. So a completely siloed um, uh, yeah, FW. I have no idea what FW is, to be honest with you. Uh, furniture world, maybe? I don't know. Probably not, <laughs> but there you go. Um, this is the one thing that frustrates me. John, you read it out because it's, it comes from <clears> you. Yeah, the, uh, like all of these BSI publications, there's a big disclaimer in the front. And there's particular one, contractual and legal considerations or disclaimers. And what this one says is this publication has been prepared in good faith. However, no representation, warranty, assurance or undertaking express or implied is or will be made. And no responsibility or liability is or will be accepted by BSI in relation to the adequacy, accuracy, completeness or reasonableness of this publication. All and any such responsibility and liability is expressly disclaimed to the full extent permitted by the law. So in other words, they're saying that although this is supposedly the uh, proper specification for all this stuff, if it's full of mistakes and errors, then too bad. So it's be up it. to you to uh, identify this <laughs> and BSI will not be responsible in any way. Not much of a leaning post, really. Um, yeah. yeah, FW is technical committees for furniture. So. Furniture world, then. Furniture world, yeah, we'll yes. call it. We'll <laughs> well, furniture world. I've just named a committee subgroup. But yeah, yes. it's it's interesting that if we link this to the companion, I'm going to call it 7671, mm -hmm. they've all got their little indemnities. We spend so many years as an industry and a trade arguing about the regs of law when they're not the guidance notes and they're all indemnified against any mistakes. Mm. No responsibility or liability will be accepted. Imagine if that appeared in the, in the front of BS 7671. You've bought a book <laughs> of opinions. Am I, am I wrong? It's a book of opinions. Oh, yeah. That's the scary that's thing. Right? That's what it is. It yeah. goes on. This publication is provided as is. To be used at recipient's own risk. The recipient is asked, is advised to consider seeking professional guidance with respect to its use of this publication. Do I go to DFS for advice? Because they got they a sale on by things the way. to sell you. <laughs> we, we should throw that in and just say we're not sponsored yeah. by them, but there is no. a sale on. They'll have now, solutions, I'm sure, to sell. This publication is not intended to constitute a contract. Users responsible for its correct application. Now that's in 7671. Hmm. Compliance with a British standard cannot confer immunity from legal obligations. And this is this is their more ever increasing risk in using standards blindly. Um, we're, we're removing their engineering thought. I was in a conversation with someone the other day and they said we're becoming paralyzed by process. And I love that phrase because it was so true. Processes that were designed to do good were paralyzing the ability to do common sense. Uh, and they can also take you down the wrong road if the person using the process isn't capable to make wise decisions. It's, it's a very, it's a very um, tough area to kind of draw a line with because you can easily say that, 
but then you can easily then feed the um feed the the animal that is those that will go oh well yeah those are standards but in the real world we don't do this because in you know so you've got you've got that gap between you've got the real world people so, that will ignore rules procedures and systems that are there to protect you but then you have too much process which restricts common sense it's trying to find that space in between but you just, know? just on this so john if that that slide and the one before it was in bsm 6 m one do you think it would make a massive difference to the way we look at 7671, the way that's worded? If we read it properly, we would probably. Well, yeah, if, if we read it properly. <laughs> the, uh, yeah, I mean, the problem is if you're going to make a standard that's supposed to tell people what they're supposed to be doing, and then you're going to say that actually it's full of rubbish and it could be wrong and we're not going to take any liability, it kind of devalues the whole point of having it in the first place. And like we've got here, it says... You're supposed to consider seeking professional guidance in respect to the use of this publication. But then if you've got a professional about furniture manufacturing and electricals in furniture, what are those professionals going to be referring to? That's the point. If not what is professional standard. What is professional so, guidance if not this? Yeah, this is the guidance. And then they're saying, oh, actually, you should consult yep. somebody else that tells you and that. You, yeah. I mean, is that the equivalent of me going to like a, com a common person scheme instead of looking at the regs? Is that my professional guidance? You know? Well, and this is the thing. Remember, this was updated in line with Amendment 2. So this came out mm. at the same time Amendment 2. It actually came out a week before. So if you read this, you're actually getting a preview of Amendment 2, <laughs> ironically. Same with 7909. Remember, 7909, 7909 yeah. draft for public comment came out before Amendment 2 and was aligned with Amendment 2. So if you read 7909 draft, you knew all the changes, or a lot of the changes that were in 7671. So, so much for secrecy, eh? But yeah, I, I, I think if I would love, I like this wording because it's mm. Janet and John clearer. This is a book of opinion. Uh, basically. But does that make the people who don't really respect the things like 7671 make it easy for them to just disregard it further? Uh, to be honest with you, I, I, and I'm, gonna, I'm not going to lie, there are times in my career where I have not respected 7671 at all. I think it's mm. in a better state now than it ever has been in many years. Um, but I think that's probably because of peer and industry pressure from the commenting system saying we're, we're not happy. People over the years have swelled up to say, no, we want to take, you know, some feedback into the regs more, which is mm. good. We know that there are BS and BSEN standards that go online um, and you look at the draft public comment and they'll say be a new 60364 standard, which is really important. It'll have a draft of public comment for three months. And then when you look at the closure, it'll say number of comments received, zero. Zero. None. Yeah. So it just gets rubber stamped. And and yeah. it's well, we've not seen advertised. them where the drafts or the windows are like, you know, that long. You know, they're, 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 they're days sometimes. Well, yeah, we some, did we had one that was three weird. days, weren't they? Yeah. Which which goes against be a zero, their rules. But we mm -hmm. we emailed them and told them that it was uh, against their rules, and they went, "Oh, just send the comments, and we'll forward them on." Which is them basically saying they're not rules; they're more like guidance. But there you go. So moving on, what is in scope? So the standard BS six three nine six. It says this British standard specifies requirements for the provision and assembly of electrical power, data, and telecoms distribution systems in furniture. So I would argue, yes, it is a manufacturing standard and installation standard and everything else requirements are specified for furniture for general use and also for use with specific equipment parts of which are potentially built during manufacture right 
So if I manufacture furniture that comes yeah. with equipment installed within it, yeah, and maybe then there's just a plug at the end, then this is part of that. But also if I put an assembly of, of electrical parts together in furniture, such as daisy chaining desks in offices and such, yeah. um, then it's also within the scope there as well. So what we're going to do is we're going to skip through, because what I've done is I've taken out basically the key points of what's in scope. So um, this British standard covers furniture incorporating single phase electrical power distribution operating at a rated voltage of up to 250 volts. AC that are either supplied by connection of the fixed wiring of the permanent installation of the building by a 13 amp fuse plug and socket outlet arrangement conforming to plugs for 1363 1 and 1363-2 and or derived from batteries at a nominal voltage not exceeding 48 volt DC. No provision is made for routing of cables through furniture. Now, one interesting, I found an error in the standard. Because one of the errors in the standard is we are not harmonized. It should say 230 volts mm -hmm. and not 250. And that is from the original standard. And yet 7671 clearly says 230. We are all harmonized. So well, it makes you wonder if the FW and the JP team actually refer with each other or not. Uh, apparently they do. Do they? Uh, well, they're supposed to. <laughs> right. Um, out of scope, interestingly enough, if you, in case you're wondering, this standard, and there are, for those listening, there are pictures of what we're talking about with this as well. Um, this standard does not apply to electrical appliances used with or within an article of office furniture or educational furniture, like desktop lamps and stuff you plug in, mm -hmm. for which appropriate standards are available. It then says any power distribution systems as a note that are connected to the building by anything other than a 13 amp plug. Uh, within the furniture should follow requirements of 7671 so it's on a few spur and it's fixed equipment connected in so in theory if you had a row of desks if you put them from a plug top to a few spur 6396 wouldn't apply in part technically in part well 7671 mm. would apply and 6396 mm. i'd argue this british standard is not applicable to special purpose workstations in laboratories or workshops yeah they probably have their own little special area yeah things. you know you know no sparking and all that malarkey so there were some new definitions um lots of definitions now when i say new definitions i mean definitions that are not in bsm 6m1 this is why i came up with the thought of this is a, a companion piece right so you're but, saying this is where it's different from 7671 yes it is so right. obviously the office term before the 2002 edition this has now been deleted but i wanted to include it anyway because I've never seen this stuff defined. And, and having stuff defined is always useful to use. Um, office furniture is defined, which is defined as furniture intended for use in office environments to provide safe working surfaces, storage, and space division, or to house or support information technology equipment, all being independent of the building structure. It's a nice and okay. succinct way um, of putting it. So that's not in there now, though, because obviously their scope has... Oh. Henceforth, it says at the top pre-2002. Right. So educational furniture, which used to be the name of the standard, furniture for use in educational institutions like Sparky Ninja HQ um, to provide working services and storage or to house and support information technology, IT equipment, all being independent of the building structure. And there's a very fancy picture of a desk that we could only dream of affording, Mr. Watts. Yeah, that'd be nice. I don't do those at Ikea, I tell you Please that. Please note it's Sparky Ninja Colours. <laughs> Mate, yeah, I haven't got those shares either. I have high expectations of Sparky Ninja HQ. Oh, God. 
when I go there later this month, next month, sorry. Uh-huh. Um, so some new definitions. So we're now into the 2022 edition. This uh-huh. is new definitions. And one of them is appliance coupler. And appliance coupler is defined in a few ways. It is the means of enabling the connection and disconnection at will of a flexible cable or cord, i.e. an IEC kettle lead or a plug socket. Uh, it consists of two parts. A, the connector, which is part um, integral with or intended to be attached to the flexible cable or cord connected to supply, i.e. the plug top, which plugs into the lead that's built into the desk. And an appliance inlet, which is part integrated or incorporated into the appliance or equipment. Very simple plug goes into the wall and then those nice little four way things that pop out of the desks or cut into the desk. So they are they are defined as the two parts of an appliance coupler. Um, Very interesting new definition. Supplementary insulation has never been in that standard before. And it's independent insulation applied to addition to basic insulation in order to achieve protection against electric shock in the event of a failure of basic insulation. Now, this comes back to that whole, is it double? Or it comes comes back to like how we would... um... Well, meter tails, everyone said they're double insulation, but they're basic and supplementary, aren't they? Mm-hmm. Not necessarily double insulation. It depends on the use of the insulation and the make and the toughness of it. And and reading what the manufacturer says. And reading what the manufacturer says as well, yes. Mm. So uh, buildings, permanent electrical installation, compromising the fixed wiring and fixed equipment. Very succinct. I don't think this is even in 7671. No, it's not. It's not in 7671. It's really interesting as some of these, these companion things you think, hmm, that could be quite nicely fitting in 7671. Cable management is defined as a system to protect and organize cables, including cables connected to an item of office furniture, educational furniture, or to a machine or luminaire used in conjunction. Now, one thing I've learned on this journey is if you have a desk with lots of IT equipment on it, cable management for that desk is really essential. Again, to remove hazards of strain on the conductors to ensure there's a safe place for Mm. electrical equipment and couplers not to be damaged or have things spilt on or knocked or give rise to temperature or fault or shock or harm so some really interesting definitions cable management system i.e a duct or a cableway and we've got some pictures and some very funky desks that lift up and i've got like anaconda type connections and that is a means of enclosing protecting and separating cables and a means for providing routes for cables to pass through the furniture and thus other elements of the furniture where appropriate so really really interesting yeah, I mean, I mean, the illustration we've got here really kind of shows the complexity of this. And when you think about BS seven six seven one, you go to that point of utilization in the floor. Yeah. When you think about like something like pad testing, of which we'll mention later, you would think, well, that's more complex than what the standard pad testing work would come to, come to. So this is really where this standard kind of fills that void space. Well, maybe six three nine six could you know? be. Uh, a training course for pat testers you know it's kind, well, it's kind of like a bolt-on isn't it it is it is and this it really is, is. Maybe, the... it is is the hybrid between pat testing and 761 possibly i don't know mm-hmm. let us know what you think if you're watching this on the... even guys doing any icr if they come into here there are requirements which we're going to cover soon which actually tell about the the values that we should see or the limitations of these connections and these supplies in the desks you know john next one <clears throat> Yep, this is um, cable anchorage, which is an item that relieves the conductor some strain, including twisting, 
and additionally protecting the conduct insulation from abrasion at that point. Now we've got some nice pictures of various uh, cables and fittings going through the desk. And again, this is all about just preventing the cables from actually being damaged because people are going to move this stuff about. Desks get moved, cables get pulled around. So again, very important to consider these things. So can I just say that uh, for those who ain't who are listening and watching on YouTube, I've never I, I want those cable hangers on my desk without a doubt, and I don't think I've ever seen desks in like these photos ever. So I'm assuming these are Google and Apple HQ where they have just got money to burn or a cat A office fit out. Um, but yeah, I'd love to see desks like this. Um, weirdly enough, the, new, the newest, uh, my favourite one, which covers what we're doing today, electrical installation in the furniture is defined as total mains current carrying components interconnected within the furniture. And there's some photos there of lots of IEC connectors and lots of cables neatly stored and contained and maneuvered away um other new definitions extra low voltage now this is this is one that throws me extra low voltage is designed is a circuit that is so designed and protected that under normal and single fault conditions it's very interesting uh the voltage between any two accessible parts one of which may be the body or earth does not exceed 42.4 volts peak or 60 volt dc where's 42.4 volts come from i can't find hmm. any information Peak. on it <clears throat> hmm. are we worth looking into that one so we we have we have obviously 50 volts and 25 volts going back over time with touch voltages and all that good stuff but where has and i've looked for every edition <laughs> i can't find a reason why 42.4 i like it because uh, the lower the voltage, the better, to be perfectly frank. But I don't know where it's come from. So anyone listening, if you have some very clever research or white papers you've read, maybe you can tell us in the comments on the YouTube thing below. Um, John, what do you think of that? Well, fortunately, four and sixty is um, yeah. It's root root two is the uh, difference between the two. So. Looking, that's, that, that's not a coincidence, is it? Right, jumping into Appendix Three oh, of the pat testing code. <laughs> right, yeah, it's got here because it talks about these new. Because you know, I don't know if you've looked at the new pat testing code that they've all introduced this new class of protection, and it's got there that there's BSEN six one one four zero as the standard ELV that we know of, but there's a product safety standard BSEN six zero nine five zero called information technology equipment and it's in that that it pushes to the idea of self being 42.4 volts so it's like it's another peak of self from another perspective of this product standard i've read those standards for it stuff and for for another reason i can't talk about here but yeah. it's in there okay so it's coming from the it product standard it's coming from the the alternative product standard and if you've read the new code for pat testing you probably be familiar with that there is a new method of approach to self and classes of protection this world. Yeah, it's like merging it all together. Why do we keep reinventing? Why can't it just be resistive loads with switches and breakers and yeah, it's, I don't know. It's getting it right. <laughs> so hazardous voltage is defined, David. A voltage exceeding 42.4 or 60 volts DC existing mm. in a circuit that does not meet the requirements for a limited current circuit. Note a limited current circuit is one that is so designed and protected under both normal conditions and likely fault, the current can be drawn is not hazardous. 
Right, so, so obviously the current circuit. That that's assuming also also fault conditions. Um, it says so fault condition yeah, will not yeah, yeah. draw into hazardous. So, fault, yeah. <clears throat> hazardous fault, which is a new one. HV. <laughs> don't. Oh my goodness me! Someone needs to. Oh, I don't, yeah. I just, anyway, moving on. So some other new definitions: rated voltage, primary power declared by the manufacturer, rated current, maximum mm-hmm. input current of the office furniture or educational furniture as declared by the manufacturer. Notice the mistake there. It says office furniture or educational, which was the title of the standard, which they changed. So they didn't. Oh, that's still in this current one, is it? They didn't update the definitions. Um, socket outlet, single outlet providing entry. <clears throat> by the way, to the committee for this standard, I'm always available if you want me to comment on that standard. I'm considering myself a subject matter expert in it now. Um, I've read it so many damn times over the last three years. Single outlet providing an entry for a plug socket outlet. That's fine. Moving on. Section 4.2 of the general requirements of this standard. Um, It says furniture should make provision for a suitable cable management and or an electrical power distribution cable, which is fair enough. It then goes on on to say if anyone's looking at the pictures, you'll see lots of overloaded plugs. Um, no single items of equipment plugged into outlets were provided exceeding five amps. So now this is where it really gets interesting. So if you've got single items of equipment plugged into outlets, if it exceeds five amps, then anything higher than five amps should be independently connected to the building's permanent electrical installation. So, so if I have a assembly under this standard going to desks and then someone puts in a plug-in heater, Yes. That's against that, that installation should basically instruct people not to plug that in. Yes. So desktop heaters, when they plug them into the installation in the furniture, it's wrong. It shouldn't be it's plugged wrong. into the furniture in the desk because that's not designed to handle it. It has to go into the fixed installation like the floor boxes, etc. Although if you're using floor heaters, then you've either got a blood circulation problem or your aircon in your building's knackered. Um, I, I've been in many offices where we've had the air conditioning wars. Um, and I love mm-hmm. it because I just lock out the controllers. Um, but yes, yeah, so anything over five amps, that's a key note. Anything over five amps can't go as part of your desk assembly. Um, it has to be separately plugged in. So if you have an assembly, say you've got four sockets mm. built into the desk, but you have a piece of equipment, like Dave said, it needs a separate socket. And that's a single item. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right. It's so not just heaters si- either, because you've got certain offices like the very big laser printers floor standing mm. jobs they can easily be way over five amps yeah big photocopiers can be over five yeah. amps so yeah it's exactly. not just um heaters so and as you can see the system must be rated to a maximum of 13 amps because that's your plug top um a couple of other bits there's a section on earthing and um, what it does is it actually tries to give um visual uh pictures that show the the earthing of the furniture and the uh, single insulated conductors contained within the furniture. Um, the furniture, if you have single insulated conductors, then the furniture needs to be correctly earthed. Um, but what it also shows is the flex or the double insulated cable coming in. And then it also shows where you would take that CPC and earth it down to the furniture. If you obviously had that variant aversion um, of single, in- I don't know who would put single insulated conductors to be honest with you through it you'd always have it in some sort of proprietary well-glanded system um, yeah i mean unless you're making a product under another standard i don't know why you would put singles yeah, into furniture. I, don't know. I wouldn't i would um but yeah. conductors in earth metallic conductive body if it's in an earth metallic conductive body then the furniture does not need earthing 
which is what virtually every single little angled socket thing that sits on desks. Mm-hmm. Effectively, you can sit it on the desk. Things, it's yeah. earth. It's class one, relatively protected from impact and fault and and all that jazz. So there's some nice pictures and stuff that cover all those variants. Now this is another one, and this really annoyed me. Where no RCD in where no RCD is in the installation, RCD can be in the furniture. So now let's go to one of Dave's. Let's say your your building that you've currently got sparking into HQ. You've got three eight seven one MCBs everywhere. Um, then it allows the RCBO or RCD to be inside the furniture. Yep, but they must be Type A. So this recalls that. I'm actually just reading it now. It's like there's a typo there. There is a typo there, isn't it's there? Got, they've got their little M wrong. It's like 30 mega amps. Yes. Yeah, they, you, you need to get involved with proofreading this. Sorry. I, yeah, I know. Um, But it must be type A. So yeah, that's a typo the, in the standard. I know there's a typo. Stop it. Let's not embarrass them anymore. Um, Must be a type A. RCD. So this is now aligned with 76M1 because we've been <clears> saying for a long time, type A is the minimum. We know, as Mr. Skern belovedly says, we'll end up throwing them in the bin in 10 years anyway. Um, productive earth terminals to be resistant corrosion. I think that's just common sense, to be perfectly frank. Do you um, know what, though? What? A lot of people won't know, actually know how to translate that. Really? As to what, what, what in, in many work environments and offices and stuff, what, you know, what can cause corrosion and stuff? Well, so, that's... You know. Atmospheric temperature, heat, moisture, all sorts. As you go to you go to an office, it's a pretty much controlled environment. You know, the yes, category, you know, yeah. But you go to this kind of th- this kind of stuff in more of a industrial location with probably different harsher conditions, you may have some corrosion coming in. Yeah, I mean, you could have a desk in a, um, a shop floor for mm-hmm. for the foreman, and you could have machinery running, and there's vibration and all sorts. So I actually remember. I remember when I tested a library and um, they had a desk in the middle of the room and it was like a daisy chain of sockets mm-hmm. all plugged into a floor socket, but the floor socket had kind of like been pulled and like twisted upward. So you could see the singles underneath and it had loads of scum and crap and drink and all sorts of stuff had drained down the cables into that thing. And there was like a puddle of all weird stuff in this thing. While we're on you know. wild pat testing adventures, I, I went out to do some, well, meet the pat testing guys on a former company, and we pulled the desks apart. And like you said, there was a cable management system for these four-way training leads for each desk. And we pulled them all out and we ran them length to length, the entire length of the office. Mm. So in, in a bank of four desks, you had about 40 odd meters of IEC connectors. It was insane. Gonna, that's gonna be great for those earthful living impedances. Well, I I just cut them all up, and there was loads of people without power the next day. But I didn't yeah. care. To want to show you, anyway. So resistant to corrosion. Well, <clears throat> what what materials do you use? Denso paste. You know, Vaseline. You can you can treat these terminals if you need to. Um, but yeah, five point two point four says the resistance of accessible metal parts are not mm-hmm. no no higher than zero point one ohms. Yeah, no real explanation for that. Just that's kind of like just copied out of the pat testing kind of code, isn't it? Yeah. Or the service inspection testing code is 0.1 plus R. Right. Isn't it in there? 
Yeah, I try. I'll be honest. I'm going to confess saying I try and avoid the pat testing code of practice as much as I can, to honestly, because I did the I courses to, and I just, yeah, did my. I have to. I have to. I have to deliver the courses. I have to read the book. I know you do. So supply connection, some interesting bits. Exposed length of flex. That is the flex in the desk should be no longer than two meters inside the desk. Okay, so that, is that in the pat testing code of practice? <clears throat> Probably not. Probably not, because there's actually a mention about this standard in the pat testing code, but it is literally 4.1.1, yep. which just mentions it, and it covers RCD, 30 milliamp, yep. doesn't mention type A. Yep. Band 1 circuits, band 2 circuits should be kept separate as far as reasonably practicable. If they're hidden beneath the desks, they should be sufficiently mechanically protected. Containment conduit trunking should be installed to allow safe routing. Mm. Long-term multi-gang lead should be avoided by installing a sufficient number of socket outlets to supply it locally. So that's the fixed wire. There should be more fixed wire provisions to having loads of long daisy chain leads. Employers should not allow ad hoc solutions and cables should be sufficiently protected on, um, and unable to become trapped or damaged. That's it. So um, just to add to that, so within the standard, there's lots of bits in section 543 all the way through to six, um, but there's some good bits. It says supply cord, to ensure no undue strain. Again, that's in 7671 as well, including twisting, inlet bushing and cord guards should be used. So don't throw them away when you get the furniture. Also, interestingly, it has the two meter rule, not just inside the desk, but also from the point of connection to the desk. Mm. So effectively, you've got a maximum of four meter length. Mm. Again, that would be, I think that'd be really good information. Maybe, do you know what? I, I When I was reading this standard, I actually thought it'd be a really good appendix in 7671. It could be. I mean, it's it's not like it's it's definitely not it's not it's not really within the reach of seven. Maybe it is. Weirdly enough, seven. weirdly enough, there is a six zero three six four standard which covers electrical installations in furnitures, but yeah, um, not that I've read it. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, I'm moving on from the pictures in the desk. So now it, there is also a section in which I really like called design requirements. Now, I don't know anyone who designs desk furniture other than desk manufacturers, but again, it's a question you could ask your designer. <laughs> One of the comments in it that really grabbed me was 551A, no more than four outlets where each socket is separately fused or has an overcurrent protective protection rated at not more than five amps, or no more than six sockets where each socket is separately fused and has overcurrent protection at not more than 3.15 amps. Now, this is basically the rule that says when you go and buy your extension lead for the desk, you can have four extensions or four plug outlets. Each one has to be fused at five amp. So if you look at the picture on the screen, you'll see an example there of a, uh, a socket with a fuse next to it that'll have a five amp fuse. Mm -hmm. Or what we see in a lot of offices, what we call the quick bow fuses, the little glass ones, mm -hmm. um, you can have up to six. And that's they're all fused at 3.1 amps each. And all that is, is basically just a great way of subdividing and making sure selectivity. Yeah. It's just selectivity, fused. isn't it? It's selectivity 101 for extension leads. Mm. How many people think of selectivity for extension leads since mm. 6396? Henceforth, this is the glue that binds 761 to the pat testers. <laughs> now, this is where I, I got kind of, I had to double take when I read this. All right. This is a change. So we've got a picture of a three-way desk um, uh, trailing plug socket, and it's got two USBs. 
please note it's below four, so there's no fusing in this. Maybe that's saying that they could probably keep actually. Um, but it does state 552, if up to 150 watt of ELV, so that would be your DC USBs, then mm -hmm. the number of socket leads should be reduced. Number of leads, uh, number of sockets in leads should be reduced. So it doesn't say remove the fusing. It just says the number of sockets. Yeah. So it's just changing. It's like changing one for one, isn't it, really? Because fundamentally, the USB is another demand. It is another demand. But you know. why have we removed the fusing? We've removed the selectivity from the leads. <laughs> am I, oh John, am I going bonkers here? Or? Well, unless you add fusing to the yeah. actual USB. Well, USB is generally, they should be current limited by design. Mm. So if you plug yes. in too much stuff, it'll just switch off. Yep. Uh, it should be, of course, whether it really is in reality is another story. But, um, yeah, this 150 watts seems an odd figure as well, because that's, again, it's a very specific figure. Where have they got, where did 150 watts come from in the sort well, of choice of uh, the rest of the thing? So, John, this is what I like to do. I like to flabbergast my friends. Um, with all this weird and random research here uh, and everyone watching on YouTube. But um, it then says where ELV components have been added in excess of 150 watt, inrush current shall be taken into account. Now, I'm still going to go back to the first point. Those three plugs should still have a 5 amp fuse in them. Right. That's the intent of the standard. Um, so maybe I've just selected the wrong picture deliberately. Mm. Um, but yeah, so inrush current should be taken into account um is there anything in any design guides for inrush currents of elv and then don't recall mate do no. we can do we consider inrush currents in any major design works that we do mm. is there any guidance or advice because oh by the way there was a lot of silent moments in my brain while i was reading this um. And I, I'm happy to say this is me pushing my knowledge. I'm not an expert in this. I was joking earlier on. Um, and then it goes on to say, so there's there's a bit of guidance we need for this, uh, I think. Or or is this predicting the future? The more ELV we have, the more we need to consider the balance between AC and DC and the electronics switching in and out and causing in rushes and surge that may cause spurious trips. Who knows? Um, it then says for every five amp socket removed, no more than 700 watts of ELV should be connected. Sorry, for every five amp that is removed, no more yep. than 700 of ELV what? should be added. Yep. Right. So let's look at that picture. There's three there. We've obviously removed one. So those USBs are maxed out at 700 watts. Yep. And the others aren't fused. But that's another story. And then it says for every 3.15, so if you have a six-way lead, because right. I've seen desks at work, gorgeous, beautiful, six sockets, all at an angle, all the quick blow fuse, and then I have four USBs on them. And it says for every 3.15 socket amp socket removed, no more than 500 watts for ELV should be connected. I have no idea where any of this has come from as far as numbers and figures. I, I literally don't. Um, if you guys do, fine. If not, the silence will be deafening. And if, the silence. YouTube world, if anyone in YouTube world knows, add to the debate, fill in our knowledge, please, <laughs> yeah. um, because this just blew my head. I was just like, OK, we've always known and we've always privately discussed there's a hell of a lot to. 
I mean, I remember asking you 88 years ago about USB sockets and how we alter our designs when we're, let's say you are, I don't know, six radial, 20 amp radials around a house. How do you account for every single socket being USB, you know, DC, USB three or what, a four amp now? You can get up to them. Mm. So uh, it depends. The thing with USB now is it's not the power delivery one. It's not just the standard five volts because they can go up to 48 volts out of the same connector. Great. So so what you're plugging in then has to negotiate with the thing in the hole to determine what voltage is going to supply and how much current comes out. So it's it's now another whole can of worms in in terms of that. So it's not just your five volts and current comes through. It's a whole more uh, whole world of extra stuff now. Well, I still think in the future we will be um, putting DC rings or radials in with USB connectors in yep. every room. Um, John, you can read this one. Right, this 559, socket outlets and connectors shall be oriented or provided with a means to prevent the risk of electrical hazards from liquid spillage that can be reasonably expected, which, let's face it, in an office is your cup of coffee still pouring down and the bottles of water and all of that. So preventing the risk of electrical hazards from liquid. So you don't want the water pouring in the front of this thing. No, but interestingly, I've seen desk installs where they are at the back and they're sunken down and if you spill a bottle of coke or tea it would go straight down the desk and straight into the socket yeah it, it, some are very different some are just a flap and the flap will actually collect it and then it'll just sit in there yes, as well the flaps you know they are um, some of them have fancy brush bars where the cables disappear <clears throat> and the liquid goes straight down and into them mm. so I, I, although some of the pictures we shown earlier you can see they're hidden underneath so they're protected by default from yeah. spillages so um yeah, uh, interesting. Either getting a desk-mounted vertical one, maybe at an angle, or tucking it underneath the lip. Um, but the ones with all the fancy brush bars and stuff, make sure they don't, you know. Yeah. You've also got these ones where you hit them and they pop up, you know. So mm -hmm. they're obviously um, risk of being knocked as well. Carry on, John. Mm -hmm. uh, 5511. Socket outlet should be located so as to be easily accessible which seems fairly obvious, and minimise the risk of physical injury. To them or to people? Well, <laughs> <laughs> I'd imagine people, because physical injury is... Uh... Yeah. Can I just say, Dave, that every comment you make could end up getting this amended again? And I'm not doing another update on another amendment because Dave watched Sorry. part of the spelling and the, <laughs> the intent of the standard. Um, yeah. Anyway, carry on. Yeah, and five, six, one, two, uh, free from sharp edges and no damage to the cable. So the typical uh, cable grommets, as they're called, that go in the top of desks. Yes. And uh, obviously important if it's a metal desk, obviously, with the slicing uh, edges cutting in, but they're normally done yeah. anyway because they just look a lot nicer than a big uh, ragged hole packed out the top of your expensive desk. And they always get thrown away, don't they, once they've gone through one cycle of pat testing. Because someone's tried to pull a lead out and it's broke it and they couldn't put it back, yep. so they've just thrown it away. <clears throat> does well, this... it does, that's yeah, that's what happens if you have plastic ones. You can get metal desk grommets actually, which are way better. I mean, that's only for the high class installations. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> call me a low class guy. If I'm pat testing or in service, especially testing electrical equipment, in um, um. Obviously, we know we know the code say that extension leads shouldn't be used as a permanent solution. And obviously, I think there used to be something in there to say if they were using in offices, they'd be limited about three meters or so. 
If we see anything else other than that in an office environment or a desk environment or a stationary static environment, should we kind of think more toward 6396 with regards to the way the cables are managed, the cables are contained, the cables are stowed? You know, it's a case um, of how to, how to, yes, or do we need to look for deliberate efforts of Dave, this? The reason why we're doing this is because whilst this is um, uh, absolute, you know, it, this could put people to sleep very easily, there is some stuff in it that I think whether you're in the in-service inspection and testing community or in the office fit out electrical installation community, there is a gap. There is. Yeah. This is definitely a bridge. And I think it's worth a listen while hopefully you're watching this I can, anyway, because you're more difficult I mean, to listen to. I've done EICRs and many times I've done EICRs, I've gone to a site that's got this kind of um equipment set up and I've just tested the sockets as normal without wondering or knowing about the additional requirements that 6396 would have had. You know, because it's it was, so it was out of my you know out of my understandings. So it was out of the scope of my inspection, but obviously, it could very much have been inclusive. And if it was, I probably would have found that there were some issues or some things to raise with it, especially with the daisy chaining of sockets that mm -hmm. are on one single socket. So I think it's very valid for people who do EICRs or pat testing to them to understand that there is this little 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 bolt on they may want to consider looking into. Yep. So. Um couple of other little bits which i didn't actually think was a thing and they are um again design requirements there are requirements to ensure 50 mil separation between cables or a cable management system doesn't need to be continuous mm -hmm. um or cable screening of individual surfaces so that separation and segregation of the installation is about maintaining it through the desk so it's a bit like 528 isn't it mm -hmm. of 7671 it's just in this fashion but there is a little caveat that says the cable support should be every 300 mil under a desk it's a little electrical installation uh, rule of thumb there 300 mil for cable supports under a desk there you go um luminaires should be positioned so they allow full movement of furniture and risk of injury well yeah i can that's just kind of a given really but it's uh -huh. interesting to see that they see luminaires as an integral part now this is the one that blew my head batteries john you can blow my head again and explain this to me <laughs> Yep, uh, number seven, batteries. Um, batteries shall conform to relevant standards. Doesn't say which way are. Account shall be taken of any heat generated by batteries. The security of the fixing of batteries and power cables shall be ensured. And batteries shall be positioned such that they allow a full movement of the furniture and minimise the risk of physical injury when used. <laughs> sounds familiar, doesn't it? It's such a small little section. They've just gone batteries. Oh, yeah, mentioned batteries, and then yeah. they moved on. Well, the batteries, uh, I mean, are we talking about physical injury of the batteries themselves or the batteries causing injury to people? Uh, probably both. But this is a really interesting pop spot because um, I was on a, uh, a UK Power Networks call about uh, rotary grid disconnections, which is the potential of blackouts for right. because of all the scaremongering and all the greed that's going on with the cost of living crisis. And um, there was probably about 200 people on this call just from the NHS. And a lot of them were talking about people, vulnerable persons at home <laughs> and how they would cope. And of course, UKPN were doing their best foot forward for, well, it's the NHS's problem, not ours. Hmm. Um, and obviously the conversation steered between home batteries. Now you look at some of this, that the picture we're showing there is bolted onto a, a, a like a sofa, effectively. Right. Now, it's like an assistance chair. It's an assistance chair, and that's right. fine, but you're going to have to thermally design that chair. 
And those chairs, as we all know, especially ones that assist people up and down, there's a lot of moving parts, a lot of mechanics. Uh, and if you put them in a, a, against a radiator or something else, there's, there's that external influences, the life of the batteries, the safety of the batteries, the spillage on batteries. Um, so it's quite a vague engineering thing, but mm. I suppose at least it's because it's the first time it acknowledges batteries as an inherent part of furniture. Right. Um, uh, it just, it kind of, I was like, I was, I wanted more. Mm. And for those thinking about it, yeah, there should yeah, be. I mean, there should be. I mean, that, that bit on the screen there, that is the entirety of that whole seven or section seven there that that's it there is literally nothing else in there mm. and yet batteries obviously they're going to be in everything they're already in most things anyway so it's well, my brother's got one in his desk yeah he's got an electric desk and it's got a battery should obviously the power go so he can lower it and raise well it. now it doesn't you can, run for long but he's got a battery you know you can call him up late at night and read him bs636 you can see i've read it a lot because i can just say it off the top of my head yeah 396 <laughs> mm. i'm not going to write a book on it and i'm not gonna yeah this is it is it was hard work reading all these so i can promise you it, it was painful wow okay so we have electrical tests do we we do. We have an entire section on electrical testing. Please know it doesn't follow the norms of 7671, but it does include, now this is the interesting bit, recommendations for inspection, testing and maintenance, uh, including maintenance. Please don't ask me right, why. So do, you, do we like need that. a 6396 schedules of inspections? Yeah. Uh, no, we don't. Oh, okay. um, it does obviously from the PAT testing world, um, of continuity test using an AC source and DC voltage, a 12 volt test. For one and a half times supply plug fuse, 19.5 amps, but no greater than 25 amps. Play old hard tests. Yeah. yeah. Test to include yes. um, from plug across all cores, metal pass furniture. Test to last five, five to 20 seconds, reading no higher than 0 0.1 ohms. Yeah. See, I love this because this is how testing of continuity protected conductors used to be carried out and should still be carried out, especially for long cord sets and daisy chains and extension leads we need to apply that amount of current for a good period of time to allow any poor connections or any bare minimum connections or damaged connections to actually heat up and snap and break you know yeah definitely because um, i mean because the, the new machine those the, the new ones don't like 200 they, milliamps or something isn't it yeah they it's barely just, they just kiss it they don't even test it yeah uh, um so, okay yeah shoving the high current i have equipment that can do that Really I only buy equipment that will do that. I'll only buy equipment that I can go and say how many amps I'm going to put in and how long I'm going to put them in for. Well, I've actually got an old Seaward pat tester I was going to drop off to you in a couple of weeks. Bring it up, mate. Okay. Is it like a Europa or something? It's a Seaward one. The Supernova Europa. It's big. It's big as long as it hasn't got Prime Test written on it, then I don't mind. No, no, no. That's no, fine. No. <laughs> That's fine. Um, moving on, IR test. 500 volt DC, no less than one meg, minimum of five seconds. Um, remove sensitive parts of equipment, luminous LED. Now, in 7671, we don't say our test for five seconds, do we? No, but it should. We should. That should say, it should say Long. a lot longer than that. Yeah, but IMFTs um, can't put the power out. Are we um, being controversial? No, there's a, there's, there's a chap. There's are a chap on YouTube. There's, there's a chap on YouTube. Is it if, you go, or if you go with the CPSs, it's push the button. The minute you see it going up and across, yeah, that'll do. Yep. We're supposed to, I mean, to properly stress test the installation. We've got to let it build up its capacitance within the system. 
Oh, yeah. you're talking about capacitance and reactance in the circuit. Oh, let the protective devices do that, Dave. Let's not be controversial. Put it in there for a few, you know, for a while. Then it'll start to then fall when it gets to it. Yeah, but, I remember yeah, I mean, when I had my robins. I used we, we you would <laughs> hold the button in, wouldn't you? You would push the button and lock it in, huh? and you weren't afraid. Hello, cup of tea. Oh, the night back. on test. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but yeah, yeah so there that. you go. I'm saying, I mean, you should hold it. I'd say ten seconds plus on a, an actual extra installation because you've got if you've got huge long circuits or whatever, it could take that long just to charge up the cables, mm. just for the uh, the capacitance of them. So. Yeah, if you're just poking the button for half a second and saying, oh, yeah, it's all good. Well, fortunately, you're doing it wrong. So, Dave, try YouTube. holding the button next time. YouTube is demanding so. a, a hidden test update. Yes. Now, this is the one that I just got. Ugh. So there's a section just on marking of desks. And believe it or not, and, and I've I've never seen this on the desk, um, but desks should include a legible label with a name, trademark, or means of identification of manufacturer. The number and date of this British standard, so it should say BS6396 2022 or 2015. A statement indicating whether the furniture is earthed or unearthed construction. On earth furniture, the position of any earth terminal using the earth symbol. Information about the instructions for proper use. The rating of the system is stating 250 volt AC. Please note that they haven't removed the A.C. So they've got a <laughs> mixture of AC capitals and lowercase. So <clears throat> another typo and that the total current should not exceed 13 amp. The maximum current rating for each fuse adjacent to its fuse holder. Um, and it goes on and on and on. And for furniture that contains batteries, identify the relevant battery type, indoor, outdoor usage, and instructions on use. All on a label. So this label is the size of an A4 piece of paper, <coughs> isn't it? Stapled think, on the bottom, just the underside John, of the desk. What we should do is literally crawl under our desks now and look for that label, and we'll all come back and go, nope. Because so if, if up a can of worms. If, but I mean some of this stuff under 6396, if you were to Google that, you can you can actually like you've seen pictures of here, <clears throat> you don't buy a desk that's got it all in. You can buy the stuff and yes. But Dave install it in means... a desk. So do you now have to make the label? Yes, but Dave, Dave, what this actually means is you can go into a wholesaler's and rather than wind them up and say, give us a box of BS951s, you can say, you don't have any BS6396 tables kicking around, do you? <laughs> Fully any sheets of them. Or go around Ikea, take the long walk and go, excuse me, you got right. any BS6396 compliant desks, please? Oh, I'm very disappointed. Um, yeah, uh, interesting information. Probably should put that, if you're doing a Cat A office fit out and it's, you know, you're doing it all... And uh, then, yeah, maybe it makes sense. I mean, it is an assembly, and so the label should declare what the assembly should have. And yeah. someone who then does maintenance should verify it still as it should be. But yeah, yeah. difference between intention and yeah. what we're doing. If you're a manufacturer of desks and office furniture, does it need to be CE and UK CA marked as well? Because some of that applies to under that. Um, yes, it would. Situation. Yeah, the, yeah. It's just being difficult now, John. But yes. I do remember why I put this picture of a cow swimming with a dolphin. I was listening, you're going, what? Um, because I could never, I probably have more chance finding that than I would a compliant <laughs> label on a desk. Um, but the let it does cover rules on the let height of letters and symbols to make sure you fill the entire underside of the desk with all that knowledge. Yeah. And it's got to be legible, durable, and not removable in normal right. use. So, so this is this is a call out to anyone listening or watching YouTube. First person to send me a picture of this label will get a Kit Kat in the post. 
Wow. Well, then that's a challenge. That's a challenge. Um, other things, instructions, uh, another section, instructions concerning the safe installation and use of the furniture should be readily accessible and include the following. Are we going to put a little like little A4 wallet underneath the desk to pull the documents <laughs> in, like a full O&M? Um, instructions for connecting and testing continuity polarity in accordance with clause seven, voltage frequency rated current, the maximum current for the fusion type, a statement that no single item of equipment having a rated voltage exceeding 250, another typo, or rated current exceeding five amps should be connected to the item of furniture. Why would you put a rated voltage exceeding 250 onto a desk? I don't know. Uh, instructions for connecting earth conductors for metalwork. A statement that is essential for the electrical system to be connected to an electrical supply that has an earth conductor. And a statement in the advice of the person competent in such installation matters shall be sought to ensure the installation is safe. Well, I think, in my opinion, this is the first time we've publicly or on YouTube. I'll be stunned if there's a video on BS6396 anywhere on YouTube instructing this. And I've looked and there are no training courses on 6396. So how in God's name you become competent is beyond me. Let me add that to the panel. Yes, you can you can do the um, director's cut of this, Dave, if you want. Um, so further reading, um, interestingly, and I'm not I'm not doing this yet. So electricity work rigs, pure 98, 1363. One other one to introduce BS4163, health and safety for design and technology in educational and similar establishments. Now, what's that? Hark, I hear you say it is another standard that covers electrical installations in schools. I read that one two years ago. We did, because if you remember, we our did. good friend, Mr. Naji, was yes. doing some installation work, and he wanted yes. some advice. And, and our brother, Paul Skirm, gave the usual no, 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 <laughs> BS4163. So there is another companion, yeah. 7671. I know I haven't written a course on it, because it's a bloody big standard. It covers lots of things. Because it's health yeah. and safety. Yeah, it's not just dying. electrical. It's, it's like, but there's some very good. Lots electrical. of nuggets in it, if I remember right. Yeah, the 10 milliamps because children are more vulnerable. 10 milliamp mm -hmm. RCDs, Blakely transformers, mm. isolating the lighting circuit. levels as well. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was in there. And plungers, e stops for the mm. room, so that you can cut, kill all the power immediately. Um, not just for gas, but for electrical as well. So if you do do electrical installations in schools. Yeah. 4163 bs4163 very very worth having a look at i don't think it's been updated in a while um sometimes these committees just disappear they just sneak them in don't they um yeah a couple of other bits obviously is this tee is it that's the i read out earlier yeah um so i updated this because the last time i spoke to dave about he nagged me and he said look there is a section in the is his TE, um, which is the IET code of practice or PAT test in the old PAT test in money, um, in service inspection document 4.1.1. And it actually does refer to BS 6396 as guidance. And it talks about points should be adhered to socket out the supply and item of furniture should be protected by an RCD, provide an additional protection, i.e., 30 milliamp. Cables of band one and two should be kept separate. Cables of band one and two often hidden beneath desks, should be sufficiently mechanically protected from movement of chairs, storage of materials, feet and legs. Cable management should be, uh, cable management systems or containment such as conduits should be installed to allow safe route and protection. Uh, Long-term use of multi-gan extension needs should be avoided by installing a sufficient number of socket outlets to supply the equipment to be used. Uh, that's one that gets missed quite a lot, isn't it? Not enough mm. boxes. Employers should not allow ad hoc solutions to be created by users. 
really interesting one that most employers fail to follow. Uh, cable should be sufficiently protected and unable to become trapped or damaged. Generally, there is no requirement to ensure electrical continuity across metallic frames of furniture unless the frame has been designed to be used as a protective conductor. Hmm, okay. Probably argue that, but yeah, he's probably following the letter of that earthing section, yes, but I think just good practice, possibly you might want to check it anyway. Uh, especially if internal wiring compromises, flexible, insulated and sheathed, the frame should not need protective bonding. Yes, it doesn't need to. By the way, it used to. In the early standards, it used to have a separate bond. Mm -hmm. right? um, where luminaires are installed in display stands, one or two methods against protected shock, self, extra low voltage, or an RCD. No, it doesn't mention anything about type A. doesn't mention anything about type A. Um, it's interesting. Going back to the start where we talked about the duty of care, um, very important. Mr. Skirm, um, would, if he was here, he'd be saying this. Regulation 10, duty of care. Um, every employer shall ensure that an item of work equipment conforms at all times of any essential requirements. In this regulation, essential requirements in relation to an item of work equipment means requirements relating to design and construction of work equipment, of its type of the instruments listed in Schedule 1, being instruments which give effect to community directives. So this is the Paul Skirm essential health and safety requirements of low voltage directives, EMC directives, machinery directives, IT directives, product directives, which then filter down into Health and Safety Work Act, Regulation 2, employer's duty to comply, and then the duty of care under PURE, under Regulation 10, to provide safe work equipment. Um, and it's basically came in since 1992, effectively. So that duty of care for the employer since 92 has been firmly, robustly, um, put in law that the employer has to ensure it conforms so if you're in an office you're on a job and someone's going to yeah we'll just fit you a load of furniture and you go does it comply with BS6396 and the designer says I don't know mate I know anything about it as an employer putting people to work in that you need to have done sufficient due diligence to give you a defense mm. because if you haven't and you buy a load of cheap shite from Ikea and you know due diligence whatsoever and lash all the install in with a bunch of basically laborers or ground workers who are just doing wires because they're cheap and then someone gets a massive electric shock and gets hurt then you're going to be done for a breach of section two of the health and safety at work act and what they will do is they will use pure regulation 10 as supplementary evidence to beat you with then they'll insert bs3 6396 up your backside and then you'll go oh so just be mindful. There's that hierarchy of understanding of legislation and decision making. Yeah, I mean, as it says in the IT code, the ICT one, ad hoc is a real thing. And when you have a fixed electrical installation, you've got sockets over there, sockets over here. Then suddenly you go to occupy a space or you're changing of occupancy and you occupy a space. And suddenly you put people in different positions and you haven't considered the way to safely install the systems and you go ad hoc and you just throw leads in or you do little connections or you put in a bit of this and a bit of that. You may go, well, 767 doesn't give me any good thumb guidance or any technical ways to do this. This is what 6396 is doing. It's giving you some level of guidance and boundary in this sense. And um, that is, again, the definitive little technical bit that will then be used to support the arm of the Regulation 10 with Pure if you do not actually do the due diligence on it. Um, so you've got to look for these things. No, they're there. I think, I mean, we've just done, I, I've done probably 10 days over the last three years writing that and reading it and reading it and reading it. 
so I'm glad it's done. Um, I would suggest that probably it may be worthwhile that being developed into a, a, a one-day bolt-on to pat testing or as an in-betweener somewhere. But I do it's, think that should be a formal city and guild of some form. But this is what I actually have been talking. So obviously, 6396 has been on my radar for a while because we've been looking at this for so long. And I've been reflecting on when I've seen this kind of situation. And I've actually talked to the city and guilds about it. And I've looked at the fifth edition of the code. I think that this this specific little area is relative to people who do pad testing or the IS inspection service because they will be approaching this space, but also people doing EICRs with fixed wire. If they're doing fixed wire testing and they start to see desks and there's an assembly of desks, there is obviously that if you are going to certify that they are safe and you certify them or or you say they're suitable to seven six seven, they're not maybe within the scope. So yeah. you need to understand where that line is and decide where you cross that, over. It's interesting. You know? There's no test certificates for any of this as well, or no pro forma. So I think there could be work done mm. to develop this. And I agree with you. It's probably something that needs to be either integrated into the pat testing or done as a complementary mm. accessory. But I do think for those who work in the high-end commercial office fit-out, Cat 8, Cat B fit-outs, this is probably a, a good underpinning qualification that could go to you know helping an organization level up and demonstrating their competency and their skills mm-hmm. um for me i never want to see this thing again i am sick to the back teeth for bs6396 i really am it's a fascinating <laughs> journey it really has been um, right. does it make sense to you because you've read it so much does God, it make yes. sense for it to exist yes do you see a place for it yes Okay. It okay. is a it is a compl- like that four one six three. There are complementary parts of seven six seven one, which would be good as um, mm-hmm. appendices. But I think there's definitely something there that could be taken out um, into the pat testing world, maybe as a bridge between the the doing and the management of pat testing. Um, there could probably be more developed schedules, more testing mm. stuff. There's 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 the a need to stuff's got a lot of expansion. Yeah, with the batteries and obviously with USBs, there is a need for us to branch out a bit from where we've been very comfortable for 20 years now Yeah, with our inspection testing services. It's time for us to branch out and be more adaptable. Um, and there might be a few little standards like this and a few little other standards about little areas are needed just to enhance our, our knowledge and our skill set and how we assess risk with these things. Mr. Ward, your thoughts? Yeah. Yeah, I think there's a danger here of this this sort of thing becoming overlooked because, like I said earlier, if, if you've got someone going in to test fixed wiring, they could say, oh, well, that's not in our scope because it's not fixed wiring. And then you've got pat testing, people go in and say, oh, well, it's not ours because it's not portable equipment. So there's a danger of this being lost between the two unless someone actually says, yeah, it is going to be covered under this or it's going to be covered under that. So I think it should be, it, I think it should be covered on both. At least as an additional on, say, both fixed wiring and pat testing, at least to make people aware of it. So that at least it is actually covered by at least one of those two things. Otherwise, we get this sort of void in the middle where nobody's actually really testing this stuff or looking at it or taking any responsibility for it. Mm. I told you he was a wizard. Mm. Genius words in a succinct way from the king of succinct. Yeah, I, I can't really follow that up with anything, really. No. And to um, be honest, it's not big, and there's good little bits of information. So if you do do either of them, the ICRs or PAT, 
it won't be a lot of work for you to just look at 6396 and just add that inspection to your remit, add little tests that are required in it to your remit, and you can add it to improve your quality of service. I don't disagree with that. Um, okay, well, other than that, I think we're kind of pretty much done on the whole 6396 stuff, thank the Lord. Um, <laughs> I think the only thing really to wind this down with is probably to explain when the next podcast will be, which is, we don't know. Um, Quite simply, John is ridiculously busy. I am on a project until at least April. Full, 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 full time. We are recording this very late at night. Um, I think it's fair to say, Dave, with your new um, teaching school and the um, ever-growing family, Time is more precious than ever, and we only want to do this when there's something interesting to talk about. I think 6396 is something nobody's talking about, and hopefully it will stimulate some interesting debate, because that's what this is about, stimulate the mind, stimulate debate and opinions. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think we've got more to do on diverted neutral current, and if you don't mind me saying, I, w- I have written over Christmas a little manual on diverted yeah. neutrals, which is currently going through peer review, and I'm that's hoping the thing. later this year it will be out. Yeah, DNC is, um, we're going to return to DNC for a couple more, but oh, yes. there's more to come. So it'd be silly for us to do it today. Yes. The space is still evolving. Yeah, and, and I'll be honest with you, I, I don't think we'll probably do anything more until at least after April, maybe summer. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It might be worthwhile tying it up when the, when the document comes out, because it will be released formally. Um, yep. That's all really I can say. And I've done lots of freedom of informations and hopefully we'll do a podcast that will enhance what's in the written, if that makes sense. Um, and hopefully just put the knowledge out there because it's been an incredible journey of research and understanding. And yeah, so uh, get that killed off. And then maybe at Christmas, maybe I'll have my RCD stuff finished, which you've been working <laughs> on for years as well. Oh, and if gosh. you think that was epic, the RCD one is just overwhelmingly epic, but I That's think that with the most epic detailed ever go through of RCDs in the history of the world, because I've got the PowerPoint, you guys have seen it, mm. and there's still stuff to add. Mm-hmm. So that's my task for the summer. Um, mm-hmm. So other than that, really, final thoughts for I wind this one down, Dave. Uh, yeah, um, this is a this is a subject that I have obviously read the standard. I read the older one. I've read the newer one. Um, I get its purpose. I get I get why it's a thing. And it's very easy for us to go, you know, and not take things too seriously. And there's there is some fluff in it in 6396, but if you actually get the technical bits, this this should be this, this should be that. A lot of it makes sense. And it's a lot of guidance and information we haven't really actually had before. So yeah, I do like it as a as a little bolt-on standard, and I will be developing some material on it for both my 2377s and 2912 um two three nine ones and stuff because i think it's useful to have it's a nice to have extra bits of information with this um otherwise yeah for me um i will be carrying on talking with you guys behind the scenes and pushing in the development of other things that we're doing i've got a few guys in the discord that want to do a bit of podcasting as well like dave betteridge and a couple of other little ads oh yes of course so we may get them in what we might do is a couple of trial runs on on um the sparking ninja podcast just to see if we can put the you know get get the practice wheels off and then he can come over and do some e5 good ones. idea because i am not going to be able to do enough you're not going to be you're going to be so busy mate yeah i know so we might do a couple just to kind of talk about 
live work about arc flash risk and stuff but then what we'll do is we'll do the biblical ones on the five one when you're back and we're ready and you know we're not all so busy but uh yeah so we'll be putting some stuff out in the space that's for sure and before i go to john one last thing we are all going to ireland later this year oh good yeah i need the dates for that yeah it's november but we're all november. gonna go on a top gear tour jolly boys outing <laughs> And it's going to be fun and chaos and mayhem because you're going to meet my dad and see where I'm from in Northern Ireland. And you're going to, it's going to be great fun. That'd be great. Um, Mr. Ward, you always get the last word, sir. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this one, I think just say that if you're doing an ERCR somewhere or you're doing appliance testing somewhere and there is office furniture and stuff around, just ask them who's dealing with that because you might find that it's nobody. And that's really not an acceptable situation. So if it is there, just just be aware that it exists and uh, it may be necessary to uh, have a look at it, test it, make sure it's in working order and it's not going to actually kill their employees. So pretty important. Yes. Not killing people is always a good thing. Um, OK, other than that, I think we've explained ourselves enough. God knows how long we've been on this. But um, for those who are listening or watching, uh, thank you very much. Um, we will see you whenever we see you um and until the next one um thank you for watching thank you for listening be kind to yourself be kind to others um yeah take care of yourself and each other bye 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 bye